Hello, and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Wayne Wise. Hey, Wayne, how's it going? Good. Hey, Mav. So we got this weird thing happening. We talked about time travel podcasts where we're never yeah. quite sure what's dropping when. Yeah. Right now, we we have, like, strange attractors, spooky action at a distance going on here. <laughs> so, okay. For people who don't know behind the scenes, I, I think it's pretty obvious if you listen to the show. Yeah. But typically when we record, I guess, okay, technically you and I live in the same city, though we live on opposite sides of the same city. Yeah. Everyone else on the show regularly lives in a different city. Different Hannah, state. Yeah, different yeah. state. Yeah. Monica lives in California. Hannah lives in North Carolina. Katya lives in New York. And the guests can be from anywhere. And, you know, we stitch it together in a virtual chat room. But now, you know, and I don't know if they've mentioned it on their show because I haven't heard it yet at time of recording because of podcast time travel. But we're recording two episodes at the same time right now. So depending on whims of how my brain works or something like this episode will drop either the week after. After or the week before a show on Boyrit, Agatha Christie's. Yeah, I know it's for us, but, but like there's another episode being taped about that being taped at the same time, and it's weird because like we can see the other virtual studio, and I wonder if this is what it's like on you know real radio shows where you're actually in like a little studio and you can see the people across, and so I can see like Hannah and Monica recording the other show with their guests, and like weirdly enough, one of the guests on the other show is my wife, who's not. <laughs> <laughs> not on the show with me. She's recording in the other studio, so it's weird. Oh, it's so bizarre. But um, so, yeah, a little behind the scenes. So yeah, I'm not a Poirot. I'm gonna say yeah. it like that. I yeah. know. It's, I, don't at me. I know Poirot. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not a Poirot. I've seen. I've seen a couple of them because the reason Stephanie's on the other episode is because she is a huge fan. These are like Agatha Christie was like her favorite author growing up or something. I'm sure she's explained that on the other show. So I don't know much, and therefore am not on and, that episode. And that's my exact reason. <laughs> as well passing familiarity yeah i've never read one i've seen a couple adaptations i know how murder on the orient express ended and i'm done i had nothing to add (laughs) so what's our topic what's our topic this is we're gonna we're gonna talk about funny books this is what we specifically we are talking about superhero i'm gonna say it like that you know Mm, vigilante anti-hero we're gonna talk about harley quinn dc's harley quinn and her massive cultural relevance. And we got some guests for this one who I don't know what their feelings are on Playwright, so we'll ask that too, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Devon, my co-host over at GW at Prakash Kali. Wow. Hey Andrew, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I don't think your pronunciation is any worse than Kenneth Branagh's. So <laughs> I wonder if they're gonna stay. Oh gosh. Be... <laughs> are you fa- are you a fan of Playwright? I love Agatha Christie. Poirot's okay. not favorite character. But yeah, I enjoy a good mystery. I'm really curious to listen to the other episode because I believe Stephanie prefers Miss Marple, actually. But I don't actually know that because, you know, mm-hmm. I've only known my wife for 25, almost How 25 years. <laughs> so, and you don't talk about Poirot every night? No, never. <laughs> But you have some familiarity with Harley Quinn. I do have some familiarity with Harley Quinn. I, I've written about Harley Quinn. I've taught Harley Quinn for a few years, and I supervised an honors thesis uh, about Harley oh. Quinn. 
an honors thesis what, about Harley Quintel. <laughs> Tell us about this honors thesis. Well, there's a student who made the monumentally stupid task of taking on a giant honors thesis on an exceedingly complex character with infinitely different permutations, read all of the things, watched all of the things, and turned in an honors thesis that was literally twice as many pages as it had to be. <laughs> I have. I have, I've done things like that, but we're not talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have read that honestly. So I would like to welcome to the show for the first time, Laura Grafton. Hello. Hey, Laura. How's it going, everyone? Good. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. What, what are your feelings on playwright? I'm done after this, I promise. Not read. Yeah. It's fine. I have not read any Agatha Christie since I was in high school. And I would like hook when I was in high school. But I could no longer tell you a single thing about any of her books or characters or remember a character's name. Like, I just, you know, but I did read like literally all of them when I was 14. It just has now been permanently deleted from my brain because that brain space was taken up by all the Harley Quinn in the entire galaxy. (laughs) I wrote a paper on Harley for a conference a while back and I watched a bunch. I played the Arkham games and I read the Amanda Connor series up to wherever she was at that point and then like i was done i was just like okay that's enough i mean i'm i have i've read other stuff since then it's not like i hate character or anything like that but you because again i read honors thesis after you finished it and i it's dissertation length which is not a thing you're supposed to do with your honors thesis and i get that because i when i wrote my when I wrote dissertation they're like this is twice as long as it needs to be and it's like yeah i know i did <laughs> So, but you wrote quite a, you wrote quite a bunch and it's really good. And you read all of Harley Quinn, as far as I can tell, <laughs> like literally everything she's ever heard. I think a little bit of everything. Like there's every once in a while I find something that I like missed or didn't realize existed or just couldn't find while I was doing my thesis. And I'm like, no, I missed the whole thing. Like somebody on uh, the call for comments was saying that there was like this like, depression from one in 2003, back when I was reading Agatha Christie instead of like watching Harley Quinn thing and I was like how heard about this before and I'm like three episodes in now and absolutely hooked but <laughs> it was not something I had heard of before this week okay, so I have a question about that so you're so watching you the birds have, of you have to rewrite your, you have to rewrite your thesis now right clearly clearly <laughs> One of the comments was like, oh, are you going to talk about the Birds of Prey TV show? And I made the joke. I was like, you mean the one with Sherilyn Fenn? And he was like, no, it had Mia Sarah. And I was like, no, you see, because I have the entire thing on DVD. And even before the DVD box that came out, which had the special, so the DVD box that has the deleted scenes that were from the pilot where Harley Quinn was supposed to be played by Sherilyn Fenn, but then she, when it got picked up, she wasn't available for the series. So they reshot all of her scenes with Mia Sarah, who played Harley Quinn for the rest of the show. Oh. So I have seen it with Sherilyn Finn and I have it. <laughs> and I like it better with Sherilyn Finn, but that's because I'm a huge Sherilyn. I mean, nothing nothing against Mia Sarah, but I have a Twin Peaks length crush on Sherilyn Finn. So like, <laughs> so, yes, absolutely. She, she should be Harley Quinn. She is nothing like how I imagined the character of Harley Quinn. Don't care. She's, mm-hmm. Audrey is Harley Quinn. So yes, uh, so you had not seen that it's an interesting no i hadn't yeah it's a a very interesting few like i'm only like three episodes and so she's gotten all of like five minutes worth of screen time so far and most of it is in her psychiatrist persona but it's a very interesting take on her character and it's also really interesting the way her aesthetic was taken by on murphy when he did beyond the white knight the way that character Mm -hmm. is costumed in that movie is exactly the way Mm -hmm. that sean 
draws character in Beyond the mm-hmm. White Knight as just like, we can tell what you were watching in 2002. Not sure about the rest of the world, but you watch this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anybody else has even seen it. It, I mean, it only has one season. There's that's what I have to say yeah. about it. I very I'm much enjoy reading. It only has one season. I can tell three episodes in. There's a reason it only has one season. But, you know. <laughs> I will, I will take all the Hartley Quinn I can get. So you're three episodes in. Wait till you get about halfway through the show where they change the entire premise. So like there are characters who undergo, I don't want to spoil anything for you for a show that's 20 years old, but there are, there are certain characters who suddenly just undergo massive persona changes halfway through the series because the show was failing and they're like, let's try something else. <laughs> it is, it, it, the choices were made and interesting <laughs> yeah so anyway but we're not talking about that show i might come up again we're talking about the concept of the character i guess and you mentioned this a little bit in the call for comments i find her to be fascinating because when you and i have talked about this a bunch before because of the way ip rights work now no one wants to create their best ideas for either the big two comic book creators like i don't want to create a really awesome character for marvel or dc because they're just going to try to turn it into a movie and not pay me yes (laughs) so the last two big ones that i can think of that were created were deadpool and harley when those were 25 years ago yeah. <laughs> like, more, more more 30 or yeah the, I know, 92 yeah. i can't do math so yeah like 92 yeah. and 91 so yeah yeah like 30 years ago and 31 years ago and it feels oh geez they feel very new to me both of them and harley feels very new to me but she's arguably the most popular comic book character, certainly female yeah. character that DC has. Yeah. Yes. Wonder Woman's the alternate choice. But I think in 2023, oh. I, know, well, I know she I know her books outsells Wonder Woman's. Yeah. I don't know how else you I don't know how else you would how else you would like count well, popularity. Her book outsells Wonder Woman. She has more new comics coming in per year than Wonder Woman does mm-hmm. on average. Like there's got more media. One, Oh yeah. oh, yeah. More media, like the more active shows that are being like, including her character. She's coming yes. into more games like it, it. Wonder Woman still technically felt her by like a little bit, but not mm. like part of that is like backdating the numbers because Wonder Woman's been a lot around for longer. You know, like if mm. you're looking at actual gripping character, I leave that starting Wonder Woman dramatically. Mm-hmm. 60 years head start will do that. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> No, so why? I guess that's what I guess that was what we're talking about today. Like, why did this? I mean, I like the character. She was obvious standout when so when she first appears on Batman the Animated Series. She's supposed to be a one-off character. She's very clearly like she's voiced by um, Arlene Sorkin, who I mentioned on the show before. I was a big Days of Our Lives fan, so I knew of her work as Calliope Bradford. So if you've ever seen the picture of Arlene Sorkin, her original voice actress in clown makeup, I've seen that episode. I remember when that happened. And so when she first appears on Batman TAS, I was like, oh, they're doing a thing. I get it. And then character becomes like huge. But like, why do people love her so much? Well, all I would say that I think is really interesting about Harley Quinn is what Mav was saying. This is one of the more recent popular characters. So I think she has things to offer to a modern society that a legacy character like Wonder Woman really doesn't. Uh, like, it, it's, it's hard mm-hmm. to make something useful out of Wonder Woman. 
just because of all the ways that she's trapped in the past where Harley, I think, has an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it her story just acts so heavily with where modern comic readers are in their life. Because most comic readers, if you look at the majority of purchases are folks that are in their 30s and grew up with Harley Quinn that grew up with Deadpool and also grew up with a lot of media that had storylines involving really unhealthy, toxic relationships that were idealized, like the beauty and the beast of the world and things like that. Hmm. And we have this character that speaks to that reality where she starts off as one of those characters that's in this idealized, abusive relationship and grows into something else. And you have an entire generation that can really link to that story because it is the storylines we were raised on. It is to some degree the relationships a bunch of us found ourselves in because they were so normalized in our media growing up. And then her recovery story, and I would say the same thing for Deadpool. His trauma story is different, but he is this trauma survivor and is representing that in a way that is actually relatable to that lived experience of the survivor reader. By that, I guess. I'm just thinking, I'm just <laughs> it's a really... Yeah. I mean, is that the end of the episode? No, I don't... Yeah, we're done. So we nothing. No, well, I mean, no. I mean, this is the first time we've ever just very easily solved it. Why Harling? Yeah, no. I think you're right. I think you're right in that one of my arguments in the paper that I wrote about her, which never ended up being published, it ended up being a conference paper that I thought was going to be published and and that didn't get published for various reasons. But one of the arguments that I make is to me, what makes her fascinating is she is a deceptively complex and deceptively simplistic character. She Mm -hmm. is a trauma survivor who gets through it in a goofy way. She is the most ridiculous, like if you read her book, it's absolute heightened meta reality breaking the fourth wall, using ridiculous weapons like giant mallets, um, yes. even more ridiculous than the Joker. But but she's ultimately the story of a woman who escaped an abusive relationship. I mean, yes, she's done a lot since the days of being the Joker's sidekick, but that will always define the character because that's where she starts. It's the origin story mm-hmm. is she right. is Joker's abused girlfriend. And then I, so I think that is a very grown up thing. And, you know, done in a way that is almost comforting because she can live in this cartoony world. But I also think what I mm-hmm. ended up calling her is Harley works because she is a child's idea of what it is to be an adult. When I grow up, I'm going to be able to wear roller skates and I'm going to be able to wear <laughs> mismatched clothing and I'm going to, you know, I can wear whatever I want. Like even to the extent that she's sexy because she's a sexy character, but she's a sexy character yeah. drawn by a seven year old. Right. Like if you ask a seven year old girl, what is a cool outfit? They're going to wear mismatched socks <laughs> because that because I like red and I like black and that's what. <laughs> And so I'm going to wear them both. And there's going to be stars and pom-poms and maybe I'll color my hair. You know, like it's a ridiculous (laughs) level of attractiveness. But also the things that make her kid-like aren't natural kid-like things. They're an adult's idea of childhood innocence, right? Like it's sort of, let me look back by, oh, I will roller skate. Kids don't roller skate anymore. I mean, some do, but it's 2023. This is not, this was a hobby that was popular in the 70s, right? It's not big the same way that it was. I mean, yes, there's roller derby and she did that. So which is not to say the kids don't do things Harley did, but she's very much out of time and she's nostalgic for an era that never really existed in a childhood that never really existed. So I find that yeah. fascinating about her. Yeah, definitely. 
I think maybe there's variability there because this is the thing I find really cool about Harley is just Margot Robbie has played the character three times, right? Never the same character. You, you can modify yeah. Harley however you want. You can interpret her however you want. And maybe to Mav's point, I think one of the real degrees of variability with that character is just how ironic she is. Mm. And that allows you to do really cool things with like the concept of feminine masquerade or, you know, being carnivalesque or drop dead serious and just, just treat her like mm-hmm. girl Joker. It, it depends on the writer, but you, you've got space to do mm-hmm. things. She's not a stable character. And I kind of love that mm-hmm. about her. Yeah. I also love the way a lot of authors these days are backtracking her story to a point in time, even like before the Joker. So we get the most recent issue of Harley Quinn that just came out this past month that I picked up while I was at the Guelph Comics Jam this weekend is Harley Quinn Red, Black, White, and Redder. And it's the first issue of what's going to be a short run. Well, one of the things it does is take her gymnastics background and it makes her gymnastics coach this absolutely narcissistic, abusive bitch. And just is like this grooming relationship and has her have like take out her revenge on her gymnastics coach and tie her to a board and torture her worse than the Joker has ever tortured everybody and get to like really dark and twisty. And then in the next breath, it loops into like a story where she is dressed as like a 1950s like yodeler doing like a Oktoberfest thing. And I'm just like, you like the dark, twisty, like made girl that is like basically threatening to kill her gymnastics coach in one story and then she's like yoder red paint blood leader husband's like like i don't even know what with like a kind of like wink to sirens in it because it's got a lot of the characters from sirens but done in just this farcical manner it's like you know like how can you not love a character that can go between those two extremes Mm -hmm. she's so weird i'm wondering andrew you said you know she's margaret robbie's played the character three times i mean she's not entirely a different character there's a progression between them but they're three very different movies birds of prey suicide squad and the suicide squad even though they have the same (laughs) basic title are are three very different takes on the character is there a wrong way to do it because we did an episode for the birds of prey movie when it came out and i liked that film a lot but then there was some pushback because people didn't recognize her as the harley they knew which i mean i don't know that's the I, I, I there were things that i didn't like about the movie but i actually really liked that film and um Margot's portrayal as Harley was not a problem with it. But yeah, you know, but that said, is there a point where you do reject her? Like I don't the character that you'll see in that Birds of Prey a CW series is very different, but also that was 2003. It was much earlier in the character's evolution. So so Mia Sarah doesn't have as much to work with. We've talked on the show before, like specifically around Batman, but with any of these long-term characters, everybody has their own headcanon of who this character is. And just talk, mm-hmm. talking specifically Batman. And yeah, how many times, Mav, you and I have talked about this just in the store. A version of Batman comes out and people are like, not my Batman. It's kind of a cliche. You know, just mm-hmm. that, that this doesn't match my version of what this character is. And Harley has been so malleable and protean from her beginning that mm-hmm. there isn't like this core, this is who this character is. Like you, you just said, you there's this really dark side of her. And then the next story is this wacky, goofy kind of thing. And certainly, you know, that, that exists with Batman. You Batman 66 mm. versus Dark Knight Returns. But there seems to be a core Batman that has developed over a long time. And then you get these offshoots where she feels that started happening really very quickly with her. Yeah. And, and it made it difficult for me to latch on to the character. I, I, you know, I think she's a great character. It made it 
difficult for me to latch on to her as a character in the comics because I didn't see that through line. Just reading it as it was coming out. Mm-hmm. The fact that it was something different like, every time made it difficult for me to latch on to who is this character and why should I care? Yeah. Like the only thing that is consistent about her is the fact that she's inconsistent. Everything else uh, is like changes from writer to writer and sometimes mm-hmm. from issue to issue under the same writer. And like the Birds of Prey movie, I was not a fan of. I didn't necessarily like it wasn't a situation where I was like, that's not my version of Harley Quinn. But it was I didn't think that my takeaway from a Harley Quinn movie would be like Hugh McGregor makes an amazing fucking villain. Like he was the highlight of that movie. <laughs> no, not not Harley Quinn. And that was my issue with it. Like it was one of the last things I saw before like COVID shut everything down. And mm-hmm. Andrew thought shortly after COVID shut down on like a streaming service or whatever. And we had a call like a couple weeks into the first lockdown. And all we did was complain about the movie because it was just like, that shouldn't be my key takeaway. I should not, I should not go into a Harley Quinn movie and have the one male character be the highlight of like what I'm seeing and not literally any of the other characters. Like Huntress. I, I love Huntress. No, I hated Huntress. Huntress me in that movie. Like, Huntress was actually like one of those things where I was like, I do not like this version of Huntress. Harley Quinn, I was not mad at her, but I just didn't find her to be a highlight. She was just kind of mad. Like, it wasn't my favorite portrayal of her. Huntress is a character that I actually really like from the comics. I did not recognize that person. I did not recognize that person in that film. Didn't care because I found the betrayal hilarious. I just had to accept that it was a different character. My note for the character of Harley within that film was I'm okay with everything that Margot did except for the outfit should have been red and black instead of orange and pink. <laughs> Literally <laughs> do a color swap and I have no notes. I really, like, people, because I heard people complain that she wasn't sexy. Said, no, she's gone through a breakup. I don't need her to be wearing like, you know, the sexy mm-hmm. costume. Wearing the goofy, weird costume is fine. I just don't want to believe that she has anything in her wardrobe that doesn't match the base color scheme. <laughs> so, so where would she even get orange that was my problem with that was my but yeah, i could see that drew you were gonna say uh, your feelings on that film i guess oh my feelings on film, i don't know i i think yeah, to me it's a question of how you use harley in contrast to the other characters around her i don't like i i don't even think that's a valid critique because i i kind of like her when she is the central character i, yeah. I think best runs of harley have been very much that like even in the animated series as, as in batman um i like it when they just like you know what screw it let's just do a harley quinn episode guest starring batman I found mm. those very historically interesting. So I don't know. That one wasn't my favorite. I, I kind of like her better when she's a little more dangerous. Uh, and when you have that violence implicit in the character in a non-comical way, I like that duality. I think that's one of the things that makes her kind of interesting. But that's just me. Did you see that or no? I don't even know if you, I've never talked to you about that film. That's one I haven't. I saw both the, the Suicide Squad movies, but I have not seen The Birds of Prey. I really liked her in the second Suicide I actually liked her in both Suicide Squad movies. For all the complaints about the first Suicide Squad movie, the David Ayers and Studio Notes movie, like there are a lot of problems with that with that film, starting with the fact that the plot, even for a superhero movie, makes no sense. Like they're sent on a mission by Amanda Waller. And when they get there, she's there. And she's the object. Like clearly the editing just like that was not intended. That was like two things glued together. It doesn't make sense. I didn't care about that when it came to Robbie's portrayal of, of Harley Quinn because I thought she gave a stupid script. She made me believe that this was a character with both mental illness, zaniness, yeah. death, like trauma, mm-hmm. like I and love. I believe she loved Joker mm-hmm. in that film, even though mm-hmm. he was bad for her. Like I mm-hmm. like I I get it. Like so 
Like that was a bad movie that she elevated. I, I really want the airs cut. Yeah, I would love to because there's clearly a story in there that's yeah. buried under a music video that's not a very yeah. good music video. <laughs> but take the and then take the James Gunn version, the second one. Her arc is amazing. And like it, yeah. that's pulled straight from the comics uh, to the whole, you know, look, I need a sex scene and then I'm going to murder him. I'm like, sure, absolutely. <laughs> like male gaze into Black Widow Spider. And I think one of the best scene in that movie take away from tombstone is at the very end where she just says flag was my friend that's why that's what it's that's what it's all about like at the end like her entire motivation for you know no we cannot keep going it's like when once flag dies she's just like i believe that this insane person said no you killed my friend so now i've got to ruin everything because that's it. like the that's because he meant something to her. And in that brief little moment, that moment and the moment where she escapes and then flag was about to break in and get her. And then she's like, well, I can go get captured again if it helps. Like it's like <laughs> the, the stupidness in that just like there's two scenes that they, you know, that they have. And in one, he's dead. And that tells me she sold that there is an emotional relationship, that this is a real person with death. I think Margot Robbie sold through that through those two mm -hmm. scenes. For the entire film. And I think that is sort of what makes the character interesting. I, you know, mm. I am interested in her ongoing trauma over Joker, over the abusive boyfriend. But I'm also interested mm. in her, both her developing relationship with Poison Ivy in the early days to there's an issue of the comic where they go on vacation and the subplot. And they're, this is, they're still being very hesitant to like actually show them doing anything lesbianish at the this point in comics but the subplot of the entire comic is harley wants to you know give it a go and be in a full-time relationship and have ivy move in and ivy essentially says hey this thing where you know we have an open relationship you know and we're free and then we're together when we're together but then we might not see each other for a while and like she basically says i like this open relationship thing and she breaks harley's heart and it is so real and so perfect and then you get and then, you know, and mm -hmm. then they're just flying home from the vacation and Harley's just looking up the window, sort of, I, you know, I can't say no because I love her, but also I love her and I don't, and I want to be with just her. And it's, and it, it is such a perfect moment of, you know, tension between, you know, someone who wants to be monogamous and someone who wants to be polyamorous. And since there's, they're still confused about what they're willing to say publicly in a book, it is handled so deftly and perfectly. Mm -hmm. And it even like the thing I love, love, love about that issue is it even went to the Poison Ivy episode in Batman the Animated Series where she kind of like has the little family and grows her little mutant children from the DNA of like the professor mm -hmm. at the university and what have you. And at the end of it, like she's fighting Batman and tells him like, I really did like fall in love, want this family, decided one of this thing, escape and is on a plane at the end of that episode looking through a photo album that is largely photos of her and Harley Quinn. And there does happen to be a photo of the, the person that she was like in this nuclear family thing with on their wedding day. And it, but the panning of the image focuses on the images of her and Harley. And we see tears drop to the page and it's done in a way that let people that aren't looking for the queer coding be looking at that as her like mourning the loss of this nuclear family. But she's really 
really realizing that maybe she does want this thing with Harley Quinn in those in that moment. And the issue then like winks to that moment as we're watching Ivy take off on a plane again, but instead it's Harley's heart that's broken, not hers. And they're just mm-hmm. in such different places in those two moments of time. But even that little wink just just so handled so well. And I think all I would say is, is that I exactly as Laura's talking about. I think that's one of the powers of the character is that duality, because I think it's really disarming. So you have this character, exactly as you said, Mav, who's kind of silly and slapstick. And then when she projects real emotion, real pain, real trauma, it hits 10 times harder because you were mm-hmm. in a silly book a second ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And which and that, that's what, what always makes it because there's so much like realness to her to where you, you remember, oh, yeah, she's at, a, at her heart. She's just someone who has, you know some mental stability issues. The most famous Harley comic is probably Mad Love, which I have right here on the shelf behind me. And the brilliance of Mad Love is the scene where the way she gets Batman is she fakes sanity for a moment. She takes off her mask. At the time, the Harley Quinn skin, she still had Caucasian skin and and she was just wearing face paint. So she takes that off and she takes off her mask and and her her jester hat. And she basically just says, I need help. I just want to get out. That that breaks Batman. And Batman's like, oh, I've got to go help her from the Joker. She's being manipulative but it works because you sort of know from earlier in the book you start realizing how abusive he is and you sort of realize Mm -hmm. that even though she's being manipulative with it it's also real and she really is hurting there and that's before the comics had let her break away from him once once she even does break away from him i think it becomes even stronger yeah Mm -hmm. i did want to talk about the relationship with ivy and stuff too and the queer codedness of it that was a I wonder how much of that was actually intended at the beginning. So Denny says all of it now, yeah. you know, like, like, they, like, but I don't know, like in those first couple of scenes where, you know, Ivy is just sort of there in the, you know, in Arkham when Harley is getting put in the animated series, like because so much has happened in the intervening 30 years, easy to read more stuff into it. I don't know sure. if it's, mm-hmm. if it was always there. I don't care. I almost would rather <laughs> it be the kind of thing where fans ship them almost from day one and so hard that like DC realized, oh, okay, we've got a thing here. Let's run with this. And I kind of prefer that. Uh, in earlier interviews, he more described it as like being the most supportive relationship and not necessarily romantic, right? And then the more romanticized the fans get with it, the more authors run with that, the more he comes on board to support it. And so I don't necessarily think he was ever really against it, but I'm not necessarily sure I believe that they were ever meant to be more than best friends from the start. And it is like when you look at the way it's laid out, it's easy to read it into, but there is that question of how much of that is us looking at it with our modern lens versus originally intended. Yeah, I have a hard time looking at the um, the animated series where they get together for the first time and do heists and stuff. It, it might just be like really exquisitely good chemistry. That kind of leads mm-hmm. to creating. It might be the sexually charged atmosphere because Poison Ivy is a femme fatale. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that could contribute to it. I, I, I'm with Mav. I really want to read it that way because I think it can be read that way in hindsight, right? The way that relationship ends up progressing, another of my favorite comics. I recently, it's not out yet, but I recently wrote a chapter in a book about 
the the King run of Batman, the Tom King run of Batman. And there is a point in that story where Ivy takes over the world. And it is so brilliant. <laughs> Ivy takes over the world. She takes over the brains of everyone on Earth using like plant magic, except for... Uh, I do. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the, the logic of it is... The logic of it is frankly kind of stupid because King clearly didn't care about that part. That wasn't the point. Let's just say she can do it. Okay, fine. And then Bruce manages to escape at the last minute. So he's free and then he frees Selena, Catwoman. And then the two of them, their plan is we need to free Harley Quinn and they free Harley Quinn so that she can ask Ivy to let the world go. That's the whole plan. It's literally they like Bruce realizes, okay, so here's the secret. We find Harley, we free her, and he's got a convoluted way of doing that where he almost gives himself brain damage and then he has the he has to have Harley Quinn do surgery on him so that they can free her. It's weird and convoluted. But the point was to free Harley so that Harley could tell Ivy that she loved her and she could say, you know, please don't take over the world. I you know, I live on I live in the world and I need free will. Like that's basically it is such a <laughs> it's such a ridiculous again, it's a child's view of, of adulthood. It's De- so destroy the world, but all my dumb. stuff's there. All my stuff's here, right? <laughs> like, it's so incredibly dumb. And in the dumbness of it, absolutely endearing because it just says, oh, okay, so it's got to work because Ivy does love her. And yeah. that's, that's the whole story. The, the story is sometimes love's just enough in this weird, crazy world. And Batman recognizes that. I think it's supposed to be an analog for, you know, why Batman sees Selena the way he does and everything. But like, mm-hmm. but like, in the story for Harley and Ivy, it just worked really. I want to talk yeah. about the animated series too, but like the new animated series. But in that story, I think it worked so well and so smartly done. And it's like all the stuff we were talking about with Mar- Margot Robbie when she get the chance to have real pathos sort of buy it right you buy it even harder have you read heroes yeah. in crisis Mav? also by king yes i have <laughs> where ivy dies yeah. Yeah. Early on. Harley portrayal. Yeah. i love that harley portrayal where she's just john wick yeah. you know what i mean because oh. the rest of the book because the book is awful i did not enjoy that good? story <laughs> i did but i, I did not yeah. enjoy that story yeah. Yeah. That, that, that that's like the one tom king thing that i was not happy with <laughs> <laughs> I, I am such a fan of Tom King. That is not his work, quite yeah. possibly his worst. I, and I, rec- <laughs> I recognize some of it for me is is a fanboy reaction to the way he dealt with some of the characters I have a fondness for. But but there there are moments in it. There are moments in it that his insight into characters that I thought were really well done. But overall, I think this is moving a little aside from yeah the topic. But I think the thing for me is what I love about Tom King is his ability to tell a close personal story the entirety mm-hmm. of his run on batman is really you know much of uh, much of tom king's um work is about you know having daddy issues and trauma but uh, the entirety <laughs> of his of his arc on batman is bruce dealing with his own demons and the way that affects every relationship that he has be it with heroes be it with villains you know, it affects his relationship with bane it affects his relationship with joker but also alfred and damien right like so i get that similar to king's work on vision king's work on mr miracle this is what he does heroes in crisis too big a story (laughs) i don't like i don't need to hear you telling me about like no hey here's what happens when you know i try to rewrite the entire world and time travel and it's like i don't 
care about any of that. I, if you just wanted to show me Wally and Roy in therapy for four issues, and that's the entire, that was the entire story, would have liked that better. Yeah. Yeah. Like me that. too. That's where I, those are the scenes I liked. So, yeah. But anyway, so like Harley's in that though, and you don't see a lot of her doing the personal stuff. Like that's her, you said she's John Wick in it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think Ivy dies. Then that that's reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's what she would, I guess, because it's the same thing as like when, you know, in that suicides, the Suicide Squad movie, the story is you killed my friend. He was important to me. <laughs> and that's, I mean, she, that's the only motivation she really had in that film. You killed my friend. Now I have to go kill you. You know, yeah. so I like it, I guess. <laughs> but I didn't, yeah, like, I didn't I like, like the story. Yeah, the story was a bit much. I liked Harley's reaction to it. And I think that's one of the other things that is frequently consistent about her character, but not necessarily always. But when somebody in her community is harmed, he will automatically go into like mm. the most violent, badass bitch you will ever meet. It happened. <laughs> The first kind of major storylines in the Connors and Cromarty run is like the community she's living with gets threatened and she goes all like out on finding the gangster in the city that's taking away their home. Right. Mm-hmm. And and it's just this like a community vibe. And when you harm somebody, when you harm her, she doesn't necessarily have a reaction. But when you harm her friends, when you harm the people she considers family, you will go John Wick on your ass. And that does, I don't know, I find that really appealing about her. Mm-hmm. It's endearing. Mm-hmm. So the most recent thing that I think is getting a lot of press, have we all seen the new TV show? Yes, indeed. <laughs> I, some, I haven't seen all of them now. Okay. Yeah. So the third season? Fourth? Third, hold on. One, fourth, two, fourth, three, fourth, season. Fourth, the fourth, fourth season, season just ended last week as we record. Yeah. Loved it. <laughs> I love everything about that show. My complaint about the show, if I have a complaint, I almost wish Ivy's name was in the title too, because I love that it is literally yeah. the Harley and, I, and Ivy show, but that would have ruined mm-hmm. the first season arc. So very true. But it should be one of those shows where like the first season is Harley and then like once the relationship is established, they adjust the like they adjust the title of it. They do that on shows all the time these days. Mm-hmm. Like just make some modification after season one. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, but that is, I don't know when, I mean, I, I, I guess I do know because DC basically became okay with a people existing, you know, like four years ago. <laughs> I mean, and Marvel as well. Like literally there was a mm-hmm. moment right before the pandemic. I say the pandemic. So yeah, probably like 2019, maybe in 2018, but I think basically in 2019, the brain trust that both companies said, no. Gay people have money. Not all of them, but some of them do. This is we so like cynical. money. They started publishing comics just called Pride. Yep. It was mm-hmm. cynical. It was literally like, hey, we here's a comic book full of gay people being gay. Um, did you know that Harley was bisexual? Yes, we knew that. That was very obvious. No, she's bisexual. Yes, we understand that she's bisexual. No, but we would like to tell you a story about her being bisexual and, and bisexualizing. You go, yes, sell it to me. Because <laughs> I want them to keep making these. <laughs> And and they did the same thing. I mean, like some of them, I don't love all of the Pride series. I'm sorry. This has come up on our other show, Andrew. Like, I don't love everything that's been done in the books for either company because they're, because I'm cynical and a lot of them just aren't really great. A lot of them are like, look, we're representing you. Give us $4. But like, that's how they read to me. That's how it that's how it reads to me. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I think that a lot of the stories felt like that. And for some people, 
you've been ignored long enough that k like that's better than nothing marvel did marvel's doubling down also on we're doing you know we're doing progressively racial stories as well voices you know so i get why that happens what i loved about the version of the relationship in the harley quinn tv series is it's not that (laughs) it does not feel like that the like nothing about it because they're not a couple for the first two seasons they're not even obviously interested in each other beyond the subtext that has existed for the previous 25 years with characters in the first season at all right like and then the mm-hmm. second season is when harley starts having very obvious feelings for her and they don't get together till the end of that right so it feels like a love story like it just feels like a legitimate love story between characters that i care about characters who are not and i don't mean just that they're bad guys but characters that are massively flawed not good not well-rounded people right like every Everything in the world yeah. is wrong with Harley. And much of the second season is realizing that Harley has it so much better together than Ivy does at that point and how <laughs> incredibly broken Ivy is. And I think that makes that show work so well because it does not feel like of everything that I've ever seen that is mainstream queer focused. As opposed to, you know, there's certainly a lot of queer media by queer people for queer people. So I'm not counting that. I'm saying things that are IP where it's like, hey, we would like gay people to read DC Comics. DC, we love you. Pride, here's a rainbow. Like for everything that I've ever seen like that, (laughs) this is the most engaging, honest to me, a person who's not a lesbian. So who cares? (laughs) You know, like, like, but like, I mean, like, like I, I bought into it as a story. Yeah. Yeah. As a person who does identify as being on the LGBTQA plus, et cetera, queerness spectrum. Sure. It is like one of the best like queer representation stories I think I've seen largely because it just comes about like as you're saying so naturally, but also because they're representing it in ways that are more than just let's have them have a really awkward kiss and like this comics issue where like they're like not even really touching lips and a half a lip kiss and half a cheek kiss and like there's definitely been sexier kisses with hardly a male characters than their first main canon kiss. It was just disappointing mm-hmm. and just rainbow marketing there. But in mm-hmm. the show, it just develops so naturally and then they have these moments where they're like bringing each other one to work and like just being supportive partners and having the natural like ebb and flow and thing and it like reminds me of the way that the queer characters were introduced in like Star Trek Discovery is the only other time where I've like seen Mm. something just hit so naturally where like the ship doctor and like the guy who runs the shore drive are like having a chat after work and it starts off just feeling like post work decompressed and then you realize they're brushing their teeth together so like they have to share like a room and then there's like a quick like post teeth press or teeth brief hits that happens and it's like yeah that's like how we want to see like actual representation of what life is like because it's all just life and life. love and creating yeah. relationship not it doesn't need to be this like big marketed to thing that we hold so differently from heteronormative relationships. and that's a really good example yeah i wonder does the weirdness of harley as a character being definitionally broken make it okay to have her be more broken and therefore more, more realistic. What I'm getting at here is when you're trying to be queer positive in media, this is the 
problem that the CW network ran into a lot because you're trying to be progressive and you're trying to say where people matter. You you fall into a trap of, oh, so we tried to write a regular story on The Hundred where we had we had Clark fall in love with another woman and then to give her trauma and pathos and to make it sad, we killed the other woman and then everybody got mad because, well, it's kill your gaze. It's like, which it was, but also Clark had fallen in love with the man the season before and then they killed him. It's kind of her thing. It just, she's not allowed to be happy. They're just going to kill whoever she's dating because they want her to be miserable because that was the show. And like they, Mm -hmm. so in order to, so they had to kill a boy and a girl. Bisexuality, done, right? (laughs) Like that that was essentially what it It, did. It all evens out now. Right, yes. They did bridge Lexa, but they had bridged (laughs) men first. But let's balance the scale. We're good to go. Yeah, but I understand, but I also understand the pushback for it, right? Because people are sort of, well, but I want to, you know, how come all queer people are dysfunctional? And I think that this ends up not Mary suing her to use a term that I don't love, but she doesn't get Mary sued because Charlie is by her very nature broken. So therefore it's okay for her. Like it's okay for her to just, fall apart and be weird and accidentally kill people and then not blink and then just go and have a sandwich or whatever, right? Like, that's okay because that's Mm -hmm. what that character does. So, therefore, you can, particularly in Harley Quinn, the animated series, you can go full out and then be weird and I think it's just okay because you know, whatever. She also is just going to murder somebody, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. like that that show is so crazy. Yeah, no, and it, it is like, because of her nature, none of that comes off as being genuine or weird or any of that. You're so right. And it gives like a lot more, I think, room to play for, play with her humanness. We do have a habit of wanting to see these ideal representations of characters. But Harley Quinn really has never been ideal. She has never been perfect. She has never been anything other than broken and riddled with mistakes and trouble trauma and problematic statement and we end up getting a much more like genuine representation of what it is you just being a person out in the world as a result of nobody really worrying about whether or not they're going to knock her off some idealized pedestal because you can't really idealize her in that typical way yeah I, I think maybe to Mav's point as well to unify that I, I think Harley Quinn like Deadpool works exceptionally well particularly as an R-rated character just being able to bring that adult sensibility in a way that like I don't really know that I would even enjoy an r-rated batman i i know it's kind of attempted or an r-rated mm-hmm. superman or wonder woman you know harley quinn works really well uh, in a more kind of um adult media landscape which is what comics have become i, I think so and i think so i'm just thinking about the r-rated batman for instance is you know Zack snyder going as close as he can to it and i don't care like and, and i know there are people who are snyder fans but i like the parts of it that the parts of batman that like are dark and murdery those are the least interesting things about him to me i want to see him have daddy mm-hmm. issues like that's what that's mm-hmm. where he shines i love again king story tom king story what makes it work is you realize the reason bruce is so broken with all of his children i'm including all of the adopted robins but also damien right like he's so mm-hmm. broken with them even is that he's trying but he doesn't know how to have a family because he had an idealized father who probably wasn't really ideal who was yeah. murdered in front of him and he's a horribly broken individual that's an interesting story to me yeah okay fine he fights crime whatever right i think that harley wears that on her sleeve and i think the 
R-ratedness of it, you know, doesn't feel like, oh, so we didn't, we did an episode about the, the Velma TV show, which Velma exists as a TV show because I'm sure someone said, hey, this Harley Quinn IP we have, they didn't, I'm sure in, in my fantasy, they don't even call it a show. This Harley Quinn IP we have is doing really well. Can we do another one? What do we got? And they're like, Scooby-Doo, we own Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Who's an edgy comedian? Mindy Kaling. Perfect. She's in that now. And like that, it. it doesn't like it was just going through the motions and none of it made any sense. Whereas every bit of violence that she does in this, every time she swears, whatever swearing happens, whatever misogyny happens, everything in this show makes so much sense. Like yeah. the fact that you <laughs> not even about Harley, what happens to Kite Man is heartbreaking <laughs> through those first two seasons. Yes. It is absolutely heartbreaking and and this is crazy because you know they he's a very different character in the tom king run of comics but around that same time as that season's coming out is when they're doing the redemption of kite man arc in the comics in the batman comics and he's heartbreaking there as well but like entirely different character on the on the tv show and yet you feel for him because in the world of harley quinn because they can have him be you know, they can they can have this R-rated universe where anything can happen and you feel worse about him getting left at the altar than you do about all of the people who have been brutally murdered in those first two seasons. <laughs> and there's a lot of them. And, you, and like, like, you know, Penguin's dead and I don't care. Kite Man got left at the altar. And by the way, absolutely the right call, right? Like, it's not like he should have mm -hmm. been with Ivy. He shouldn't have been. But you feel bad for mm -hmm. him because he did nothing wrong. Like, <laughs> that relationship. <laughs> just, like he just dated somebody who was actually in love with someone else and he didn't know and that's you know sad it was I have like I hated that character so much in the first couple seasons of especially the first season like I was just like you are not even remotely somebody who should be dating Ivy this just feels wrong to me but when he gets left at the altar I still feel bad for the guy and I was like mad at him the whole time but I was like when he got left you're supposed to see I mean he's like an incel joke right like that's the entire thing he's corny and lame but he's not yes I realize he's a bad guy but like most of the cast is he's not a bad person you know like right. he's a villain because they're all villains by by trade but like in the logic of the show he's never mean he's not mean he's not misogynistic so even though he like he's an incel stereotype but he's not misogynistic he's nice to ivy he doesn't manipulate her or anything he's just a good boyfriend to someone who doesn't love him that's not <laughs> ivy's fault either it's just but that's the story <laughs> Like they're just they just don't like working and then you know ivy essentially decides to marry him because she's afraid of her feelings for harley that ivy screwing up that's not kite man's fault you know he doesn't know any of that mm -hmm. so so like i loved that storyline and i loved that during the storyline harley's place in it is oh my god all right i'm gonna you know you're my best friend and i'm gonna screw up your wedding because because we fucked and we shouldn't have then i tried to apologize <laughs> And then we fucked again because I am a head case and I'm stupid. And like she blames herself for it. And then until she realizes, wait a minute, we keep like every time I try to not do this, we keep having sex because I'm actually in love with you and you're in love with me. And why can't we be together exactly? And then and then like when Ivy says, well, yeah, it's just because you're an idiot and like you're going to screw everything up. It's just like, oh, my God, that's hard. But I understand where Ivy's coming from because Harley is an idiot who 
is likely to screw things up. Like I, <laughs> like I, like I understand it. Right? Like it was mean, but they're bad guys. I, it is such a complicated show, and I think that defines what the character is in all the incarnations. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just to throw it at you a little bit, you've chosen this path to become this expert on side characters in the Batman context. Yeah. What's your take on where Harley fits in that? Like, like how She's does not. being a Batman character specifically affect her? She's not. That's, that's my take. So, okay. So you're, <laughs> I'm editing a collection of, well, I'm editing right now, just one book, but you know, theoretically a collection of, you know, side characters in superhero comics. So the, I'm doing one for people who haven't heard the show before. I've, I've plugged it on the show, but I'm doing this collection called Batman also starring. So it's, a book about not Batman, but the less important people in Batman's life. And Harley, I mean, if someone has a really good pitch, I'll consider it. But I'm not looking for a Harley Quinn story in the book because she's too popular. She's too big. And I think she has eclipsed the idea of side character because Harley Quinn is her own protagonist now. In the Harley Quinn okay. show, Bruce is like a fourth string character. Yeah. <laughs> like she's yeah. in it. Batman's in it, but I mean, he's in her world. Batman's less important than Clayface. (laughs) And so I think what makes her fascinating is I think in the world of what DC comics have become, she is far more important now in this, you know, this nebulous way that maybe only makes sense to me, which is why I'm editing this book. She's more of a real character than Joker is. She's up there with Batman, mm-hmm. Superman, and Wonder Woman. If, even if you want to argue that Wonder Woman is still more important than her, uh, there's not much many other people who are. So, like, I, yeah. I, I consider her too top tier a character to be yeah, considered. Absolutely. Superhero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, they're not even living in the same city anymore. Like, Batman's yeah. a footnote in Harley's story in many the ways. Comics, yeah. If you're looking at like the main canon run, you know, like it just, he's part of the same era that Joker was for her and she's left both of them behind no doubt. Mm-hmm. That's why I like the, I love the Suicide Squad movie, the James Gunn one, because they're not even mentioned. I mean, they are, they're mentioned in passing, but it's not like they don't matter any more than, you know. Okay. So I've had many people I've dated in my life and I don't think about most of them all the time. And when they come up and it's fine, that's not a negative thing about it. But like, when's the last time you thought about your high school girlfriend? I mean, now, because I just mentioned it, but like, I don't remember before that. And that's like sort of that's sort of I think where Joker is for her. And I think it's largely where Batman is. He's a famous guy that she kind of knows. But in the cartoon, I in, in the, the Harley Quinn animated series, I love that Bruce is a side character and I adore how Close, she's become the Batgirl. I think that's so wonderful, yeah. and it can't happen in the regular universe because of the rules that exist between heroes and villains. But in the nebulous, weird space of this particular show, the fact that they're just like there's weird logic that doesn't make sense. So if you're spoilers for the most recent season of Harley Quinn, but in the fourth season, Harley decides to become a, a good guy and join team Batman and the Bat family. And Ivy is running the Legion of Doom and they're trying to, you know, how do we make our relationship work? Like that's the story, right? Like how do we've got two separate jobs and there is no point where they fight each other. It's not, you'd think the obvious thing to yeah. do would be like, Oh, well I, can I fight my girlfriend? That's not what the show's about. They've just got the, 
these two largely separate jobs, one being part of a superhero <laughs> team, one being part of a supervillain team, and they do, and and they don't directly cross over. And it's more about, oh, well, I'm going to miss this because I've got an important business meeting to go. Like, I love that. And instead, you get this really kind of beautiful relationship small R relationship. It's not romantic at all. An entirely platonic relationship grows over two seasons between Batgirl and Harley, where they just become really close friends. And it's kind of cute because they're both weird in their own ways. So I love that about that. Like, I think that's where she fits with me because I think that, you know, how we started this episode, she has sort of grown to be the last important character in that universe, I think. Mm -hmm. At least for me. Yeah. And she's breaking up the faith that just isn't, it isn't villain, it isn't hero anymore. It's just something mm -hmm. in between and something that only really she can take up because of the way in which she is flawed from the start. You know, like mm -hmm. there isn't any other character you could possibly put into that state in the Batman universe because the rest of them all become so black and white and she's just the bridge between the two. Mm -hmm. Anybody seen the Batman and Harley Quinn cartoon that so it, right before the animated series started with Kaylee Cuoco, Melissa Rouch, is that her last name? The other yeah. woman from the other woman yeah. from the Big Bang Theory. She did the voice of Harley Quinn and a direct to video, not exactly part of the animated series continuity, but clearly inspired <laughs> by it. Yeah, have you guys seen that one? Yeah, Laura. I watched a little. Yeah, I read about it. It was one of the many things that was yeah. in the monster thing. Yeah, it, it, it's got some scenes that get pulled out of it into like weird porn universe stuff too, which is just always entertaining. Andrew and Wayne, well, you guys have to, not like, watched it. Yeah. 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 I don't recall watching that. No, it's I, I have. Okay, so the so Wayne hasn't seen it. What do you guys think of it? I mean, it's a thing that I love. It's hard on as other people are. It's weird. It, I, I, I think appreciate it is the thing, which is where I'm get going at. I, I think some people can be precious about those characters much like everything else that when somebody violates your head canon people can be precious about it and i think that there's an in inclination to go well why is everything got to be so sexualized because for a lot of people who grew up watching the animated series and i was an adult by the time the animated series happened so I did not grow up watching the animated series, but for people who grew up watching the animated series, maybe you consider this more of an innocent thing. And this is a, you know, there's a point where Nightwing goes to fight Harley Quinn. She wins and she catches them and ties them up. And then it's basically like, okay, I've got you here and I'm really horny. And then it's implied that she rapes, but then also he's kind of <laughs> yeah. into it. So it's, you know, it's fine. Like that's the storyline. Yeah. It's like, and I get the, like, it's, you don't see me. the act happen. So like, I guess the way, the way to make it okay for yourself is saying, no, he got turned on so he consented halfway through, but even then it's kind of creepy and stuff. Like it's not, <laughs> it's an issue, but also now that I watch the, the Harley Quinn show and she's just brutally murdering like she murders Professor Pig in one episode <laughs> like like on a whim it's just like and then the rest of the Bat family has to just sort of look the other way because like the show has to continue so it's like I don't know I think I appreciate that that one episode more than I used to Laura you've I mean you've written about it so yeah I like I can't so I wrote about it and I wrote about it in the context of like fan fiction and specifically fan fiction pornography. 
and there is a porno that takes the like scene that isn't there and puts it in so I don't like in my head canon the porno is like in the actual cartoon and I just like I see it all I know what happens and like I have to remind myself all the time that it is not actually a part of the cartoon it's like this other thing that has entered my brain and that I can't unsee but it, I love how quirky it is and I love how it just gives Harley so much like agency in her relationships and her sexuality and the ways in which she interacts with these male characters because nobody would really be batting an eye like it, we would with Nightwing because Nightwing is not a character who would really do that but if Harley was in a situation right, where, where the villain oh, he does it all the time it's fine like right like but he wouldn't necessarily do it in a racy way but you know like oh. let's give him a little bit of, of credit but it's like also, it, it just kind of i know side things i know most raped of dc yeah. comics character night a lot actually He's, he is frequently yeah. raped <laughs> thing and it's like nice to see it happen to a dude rather than a girl like i i guess that it would be nice maybe if like rape just didn't happen in our media but if it's gotta happen then every once in a while then i kind of want the dude to be raped because like you know we i want some equity wow. in the way representation happens specifically nightwing nightwing is raped a lot like it's like four or five times by different ways. It's a lot in the history of comics. You, you can find them. I've, I've stuff that research that I did when I was doing my dissertation. It, it happens more often than you'd think. It's really weird. It's yeah. literally just the reason, though. <laughs> anyway, side thing. There's a layer of problematic there, but you know what? It's okay. Good yeah. for Harley. She gets it. It's fine. It's, I, I think it's worth, I think it's a show worth watching and revisiting. It's weird. I don't know how much of a place it has anymore because everything that I think it was trying to do, I think has more successfully been done with the animated series which is just delightful so i think people should give it a try mm-hmm. that's what i was getting at so we resolved nothing yeah i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> no we have we have yeah. we've resolved that you should go watch this show it is delightful and i think you should also go and read the comics um i think the original animated series is good if you've never read mad love we didn't talk about mad love all that much with oh, so good, yeah such a good book it is a yeah i mean the animated version of that is also very good but i yeah. that's one yeah. where the animated cartoon version and the book adaptation are are pretty much identical they're very faithful to each other but it's a story that i think works better as a book i feel like i need to control mm-hmm. the pacing yeah. of it and it so i feel like the book is better in this case but only not for the classical reasons where people, where people are like snooty about it just i like take my time with it and i don't want to be done in like their time i want to i want like I, mm-hmm. I enjoy that story and it's dark yeah. i enjoy it so much so thank you yeah there's also a novelization of mad love that also adds another layer and that i might actually like more than the graphic novel version which was like co-authored by dating but it it adds a different layer and perspective to it it's really neat i'll have to try to check that out i'm gonna tell one story before we close out <laughs> just because was I think Wayne's heard me tell the story. It was in that thing that got that never got published. So it was in my PCA yeah. presentation, but not but never actually saw 
draw print anywhere. Back when I used to write and draw a comic strip, I went to a comic book convention in Baltimore. And there was, you know, when you're sitting there in Artist Alley, a lot of times you'll just amuse yourself by taking pictures of people with cool costumes. And there was a guy flipping through the, my books. And then he, you know, he was there with his wife. This is a couple who are clearly in their 30s. And they've got a daughter who's at best three. And she is wearing a perfect replica of the Arkham Asylum nurse's outfit, Harley Quinn outfit. It was uh, that. So this was when that game was fresh, when that game was out. And she is wearing the perfect replica of that outfit. And I remember asking uh, him about it. And he's like, yeah, she loves Harley Quinn. And I was like, really? And she's like, yes, we watch a heart, lot of Harley Quinn. It's like, how did she even, you know, why that costume? Why the, you know, and I'm trying to very nicely say, you know, the super sexy one. <laughs> and he says, well, here's how she learned about Harley Quinn. I'm a big video gamer. It's like, it, it, and I'm like, oh, you're not a comic book fan. He's like, I've never been to a comic book convention in my life. This is the first one. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. So what happened was I love video games and I was playing the Arkham Asylum game. And he goes, I went and I got to the point where Batman fights Harley Quinn. And my daughter walks in the room and she sits down and she watches me fight Harley Quinn. And it takes me, you know, a couple of hours to actually beat her. I had to keep rebooting the game because... Like I kept losing to her and I played again and I lose to her and I played again. And I finally beat her after like three hours and I was excited to move on. And my daughter goes again. I'm like, what? He goes, and she made me fight Harley Quinn again and again for hours. So then we had to buy her cartoons because I didn't want to play the game anymore. And she loves Harley Quinn. And she's like, she's got Harley Quinn bed sheets. She's got Harley Quinn everything. So Halloween came around and that's, of course, who she wanted to be. And her favorite version is the one from the video game because that's where she first saw it at three. And I'm like, oh, wow. So that costume he's like, that costume's custom made. And she had on, you know, the custom miniskirt the, the nurse's hat she had a little blonde girl with delightful blonde pigtails twirling around modeling her costume for everybody and i was like that's amazing is like how much did that cost to make and he's like you don't want to he's like more than i'm comfortable saying so she wore it for halloween and then it was just like you've got to wear it other places it's very expensive so we're going to comic conventions so that she can get her picture taken by people to make the costume worth it and i was like wow that's amazing you must really love your daughter and he's like i do i love her so much and then his wife says yeah but you have no idea idea how hard it is to be on the phone on a long distance call with a European sex shop trying to explain that you want to course it for a three-year-old. Oh, that's like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> that's the thing you would have to do in order to get that costume. Because at, yeah. at the time, there would not have been. I'm sure you can just buy one at like, you know, a Spirit Halloween now. Right. <laughs> but that's my, that's how much children even. She was three years old and she just knew there was something special about this character. You know, I'm, I guess that girl's probably an adult now. That was like, yeah. <laughs> she's, yeah, as I say, she's, she's certainly in her late teens. Not 20, yeah, so. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for doing this. Andrew and Laura, thank you very much. This was a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Anything you'd like to plug, Laura? Yeah. So Andrew and I co-authored an article on Harley Quinn that's on the middle spaces, Harley Quinn and Tale of Three Bluffs. So you can definitely check that out if you want to know more about our feelings on it. I also am a contributor as I am able at Women Who Write About Comics. You can check out more of my writing there. And I am LL Grafton on all the various social. Yeah. And we will link all of that in the show notes. Andrew, 
What about you? I have a book coming out on October 24th about gender representation in Chris Claremont's X-Men. Probably not related to what we're talking about today, but there's certainly some intersections. Tangentially related. Harley Quinn's not in the book. But this is exciting. Yeah. yeah. And this is, yeah. This Congratulations. Is Good. This is the book. This is, I guess sort of related to the thing that you've been doing for the last five years. Yeah. Uh, my weird little Twitter project. <laughs> you got some other places too. So we will link that. I guess I try to pre-order on Amazon, I believe. So we will yeah. link that in the show notes. And you've got some other places that people find you? Yes. Sequential Scholars, where Mav and my other co-host from Gosh Golly Wow do a bunch of stuff on comics in general. And I think that's it. <laughs> I probably gosh, have golly, some wow. other stuff. No, yeah, also Gosh Golly Wow. Gosh Golly Wow. Why wouldn't I say Gosh Golly Wow? <laughs> Where I'm the only thing standing between Mav and the title of Yana Rasputin fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you can Google me. I wrote a bunch of stuff. Some of it's good. Awesome. But yes, we'll link the GGW podcast in the show notes as well, which has me on it. But Wayne, what about you? What wonderful oh, things on. are you? Uh, yeah, I, I'm doing nothing right now. <laughs> I'm the same ongoing project, but I have nothing specific to promote or put out there. But, you know, the well, Hoodspot Project's still out there. You know, it's like you can look that up. I have novels available on Amazon. You can look up, buy some novels. I can use some money right now. I was going to say, in the old days, I tell you to like plug social media. You can you <laughs> can go to Amazon and, and buy a digital copy of my Zirik Award winning comic from 1993 that Peter Laird financed. Ooh, or you can see. get one of the copies I have in my basement. Yes. <laughs> I have a copy. <laughs> anyway, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter, and I'm still calling it that, or Instagram or Facebook, and also <laughs> Mastodon, Blue Sky, and you know, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same, no, actually not all those same places. We got kicked off Instagram. I keep forgetting, damn it. I don't know why we got kicked off Instagram, but we did, and I'm very sad. But you can follow the show on Facebook or, or Twitter, I guess. At Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com. That's useful. Where we can talk about whatever we're talking about next week. And that's probably Poirate. Or <laughs> maybe we talked about Poirate last week. It depends on what which order we edited the shows in. I'm not sure. So I'm travel podcast. Yeah. So, but if it's not, we'll be talking about something else. And you can find out about that by checking our blog where you can not only See what we're talking about next week, but you can leave us comments on this or any other show that we've ever done. Sometimes we pick guests from comments on the blogs. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or Pandora or I don't know, wherever the hell you get podcasts from. And do us a favor, leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that boosts the algorithm, makes us more popular, and really helps us out. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank Laura and Andrew for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.